This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to the Media Rumble Sessions. Hi everyone. Uh, welcome to the Climate Change Corner of the Media Rumble. Uh, it's great to be here uh, in real life after two years and um, it's great to have so many perspectives on you know, local and international climate reporting. So I would like to start um, by inviting all our guests to give their perspective on um, what is missing in climate reporting in Indian newsrooms. Um, and do you agree that um, something is missing? I do feel I can only offer you know, an external perspective. On a, I, I've been always very impressed by how um, in-depth and well-researched climate reporting and environmental reporting is in India. So, you know, I've been really interested in um, your perspective on what could be improved and what do you feel from an internal perspective? Thank you very much, Lou. I'd like to thank my hosts, News Laundry and the event management also for us to be sitting out here and discussing. Um, I'm happy to see there's a lot of youngsters here. Okay, you were asking, the first thing I'd like to say that we need to have a little bit of perspective. English language press is literally less than half of the kind of publications that are there now in India. The largest is Hindi. After that is uh, English at what, 50% less. And lesser than that is Malayalam and Urdu. So if you take it in perspective, I don't think there's much been done. In the English press, I find climate change uh, gets reported in spurts. Mm. You know, before or after these climate conferences, there's always a jump. It's getting a bit better. It's not that it isn't, it's getting a bit better, but it deals more with what the administration is telling you policy-wise. I don't see much of actual field realities. If India has, which they keep saying and keep writing, that there are so many um, policy features for climate change, and the environment, which I'll speak about later, I don't see anything that tells me about its implementation in the field. So I still think there is a long way to go. So do you feel there's a, there's a difference between how climate change is covered in different languages in India? Um, I don't read all the other languages, but yes, I've been interacting yeah. with uh, journalists from regional media, and I find you know, speaking from having conducted these awareness workshops with them as a journalist, I find their knowledge way more. They're much better. They just don't get the kind of visibility that the English language gets. Right. And Omer, I know Third Pole has a really interesting um, audience pool because it, it speaks to international audiences, but it's also a multilingual platform. Um, and so how, how do you think climate change coverage should be evolving and, you know, if you can identify where do you think there's room for improvement? Okay, I'm just going to speak right now from the Indian perspective rather than the South Asian perspective because that will get more muddled with uh, each country that we cover having their own particular problems from Afghanistan to Myanmar to uh, Bhutan. But very simply, climate change, if you're going to simplify it a little too much, is a problem of water. And water is central to almost every activity that we have. It's central to power generation. 
you know, uh, whatever coal plants and uh, any kind of uh, power generation, uh, you, you're always talking water. It's central to livelihood. Uh, it's central to social justice. Um, you know, we forget Ambedkar's first satyagraha was to the Malad water tank for access to public water. It's central to gender uh, because by far, uh, almost uh, across the thing, 70% of tasks to do with water are put on women's uh, shoulders. It's central to economic growth because, uh, you know, half of our economy is, uh, or half of the people we employ are uh, in the agriculture sector, and half of those are dependent purely on rains when it comes to water. It's dependent on infrastructure. We are a civilization that's for thousands of years completely dependent on monsoons, and in the last 50 years we've decided to build cities that flood every single monsoon. That is uh, an incredible display of idiocy. Um, but if we're going to ask the question, what's missing? What's primarily missing is joining these dots. And that requires a whole of governance and a whole of society approach. India has done this before. It did this to deal with food security. Our uh, very low cost uh, space program is based on, uh, in part of that. We've done this to make this country food secure and that was a huge achievement deeply inspirational. Even our, uh, the whole system of democracy in a country that was very poor, barely literate, was a whole of the government, a whole of society approach. That is what's needed. And to give you an example of where this was needed recently was our response to the COVID crisis, where we failed incredibly. And yet, you will find that are governed boasting that we did very well despite four million people dying. Uh, and I would suggest that the only time the Hindi papers actually managed to cover this properly was when Omar Ojala's uh, people wrote in New York Times. That's not the press we need. What we need is actual telling the public what is happening, how the power works. So our problem, very bluntly, is that we're governed by idiots. And our, the large part of our press is lying to you. That's what happened in COVID. That's why millions died. And that's why our economy and our society is suffering so badly from the impacts of climate change. And we're not being truly well informed about it. Hibe, um, what do you think? Um, Hello. I mean, I have my opinion. I think, you know, India has some real gems when it comes to climate change. and. Uh, you know, some real innovations. But, um, you know, obviously, it's always a... So, uh, thanks, Lou. <laughs> so, the thing is that um, what I would like to talk about is uh, climate change reportage in India, um, especially in mainstream media. Um, and in India, it's a case of uh, apathy, really. There is no climate denialism in India, but there's a huge degree of climate apathy and ignorance. Now, I can't say which flows from which, but they both exist. Now, when it comes to um, reportage, you find most um, reportage around climate change happens when there is a big climate change impact. Say a cyclone hits, or there are violent monsoon rains, or there's a glacier burst flood, or something like that. 
So then it, um, it is there on the airwaves, it's on the front page of newspapers for a couple of years, and then it disappears. Even while it is there, as Omer was saying, the dots are never connected. You never really get to read or hear the entire story of what exactly is happening, why is it happening, what is exacerbating the damage of what is happening. And um, that is what is missing, and um, frankly. And uh, the thing is, the only way that this can get better is when you have more dedicated reporters, journalists, and editors, and edit teams within mainstream media organizations which focus specifically on this. Because India is in a very, it's, it, it's, it's one of the few countries in the world where every different kind of climate impact that you can think of is going to affect India, whether it's heat, whether it's uh, monsoon, whether it's uh, the Himalayan glaciers melting, every which way. So it's extremely important that India does this, and Indian media does this soon. It's always a, a matter of funding as well, no? Like finding the, sure, but the that, new budget but model, then, like yeah, then, business models. But to begin with, this is what I think is yeah. missing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Of course, I mean, ultimately it is, uh, funding, but before funding, there needs to be intent. Yeah, it's like uh, reshaping your business model. You have to, to because the thing is that do you want to tell these stories or do you want to be left behind? Yeah, you know, you have to, uh, you know, first you have to decide on that because funding is not really that difficult to get if you have the intent for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially in this part of the world, I think uh, there's growing interest in. in uh, certainly, yeah. certainly, because and if you need to tell and. Uh, you know, just like most other kinds of, uh, all kinds of uh, journalism, all forms of journalism, but especially when it comes to climate change, it's about climate change journalists have to tell better, have to tell the stories better. There needs to be more of a storytelling angle to it. And you can't tell stories unless you know um, the fullness of what's going on. And you can't know the fullness of what's going on if you are not being given the resources to be able to do so whether it's training, whether it's funding for uh, travel and reportage, whatever it may be. We know that the post now has recently opened uh, or expanded its climate desk. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit more about this and what kind of stories, climate stories, would you want to see from this region? Um, sure. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the inner workings of the, the Indian outlets, but I can share a little bit about um, what I know um, my my newspaper is doing so we've um, from what I can tell we've expanded significantly um, in climate today um, I, I should say this process probably began about four to five years ago um, I would say that today climate is arguably our number one priority of coverage um, basically kind of on par with stories like um, you know the, the, the war in Ukraine and um, US national politics. Uh, so the team now, um, they sort of created a separate team um, a couple of years ago. Today it's about probably like 30, 30 to 40 people, which includes editors and what they call different sort of pods. Um, and so at the top there are editors and then of course there are sort of you know people who do videos who do you know video editing graphics um sort of dedicated data people 
And then teams of reporters who cover, um, I, I think it's split into, for example, um, kind of accountability. So kind of how does um, you know certain flows of money or business interests or sort of you know political influence shape decisions that have an impact on the global climate. Another team would cover something like, um, you know, what is the impact on the ground, right? So major disasters, what you're talking about when there's a, you know, a giant flood in Pakistan or a wildfire in Australia. Another team, um, I think they call it climate solutions. Um, so, you know, what are the new technologies that are emerging? Um, you know, is it really feasible to, um, let's say, you know, develop hydrogen technology or, 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 or you know, those types of kind of forward-looking um, things. And so it's been um, under the last editor and particularly under the current editor-in-chief, it's kind of, it's, it's been pretty well, I think, drilled into our heads that this is a kind of a, a major priority from, from the staff. And so particularly, actually, you know, I work on the foreign desk of the newspaper, so sort of we're kind of a parallel department to this climate coverage department that I'm I'm describing, um, and so actually, um, you know, this is just pure inside baseball. But even for us, you know, we also are operating under the same mandate that this is a top priority. And so, actually, the challenge for us is how do we work together and sort of provide the resources, the reporting know-how here on the ground with the you know this huge team back in headquarters who may know the science better. Um, you know, who, who are familiar with the scientific, the newest scientific literature, the newest IPCC reports, the newest, you know, what experts are talking about, what sort of it, are the new technologies coming out of the startup world, and how do we kind of, you know, put that together um, uh, to, to kind of, you know, create um, interesting stories. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's like, um, it's almost like foreign desks are now involved with the climate beat a bit more. Yeah, so the I, fact that you have a, a climate beat back in the US. We have an entire reporting. desk. I mean, exactly. it's, it's like, you know, before it would only be like international news, national news, local news, sports, business. And something and else. Whatever. And whatever. But now, like, one of those is mm -hmm. purely dedicated to climate. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you guys find in India there is, um, or there's likely to be in the coming years, a growing awareness that uh, climate change is a... Um, in a cross-sector issue that affects business, affects you know infrastructure, affects society in different ways. And so are we more likely to see a climate angle to everyday stories that are not necessarily tagged climate change? I'm glad you brought that up, Lou. I was just going to develop Omer's argument. Yeah. I think it's linked to the environment, which is why every single thing in India for us because it's a matter of food security, it's a matter of water security. And we in India is in terrific distress water-wise. We're 54% water stressed. So all of these soils, air, so environment for us is inevitable, the link. So to understand that, only then can you start writing about sports and writing about business, etc. because you see the link. So that is missing and there are various reasons you know the media has been changing hands in india in the last decade or so let's say last 15 odd years and interests are changing because of that it's become commercial the editor's role has diminished i know of many cases where the editor can't even say yes to something if the proprietor says no 
it's hurting his interests. So we've got stuff like that to deal with. It's not just a straight off answer. I'm very happy to hear what Jerry is lucky if he's sitting in a desk that has got all this. Doesn't seem to have any money problem either. Mind you, they've taken a long time to come to it, not just they, I meant the US. But yeah. it's very happy to see that. For us to be able to do that, you know, it also needs the editors to be aware, the gatekeepers to be aware, you know, the chief subs, the news editors, and it needs for us, I think, in India to be made primarily into an economic story. Do it in whichever language you want, you will still be able to put it out. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't be page six or something. It has to be political, economic, put it up in front. It has to become hard, what they call hard. And that's something ties with what Vivek was saying, which is it's important that newsrooms themselves are equipped with um, a team that thinks that way. The Weather Post has its climate team in DC and maybe connects with other beats and other desks that are not necessarily focused on climate only. But how important it is that um, newsroom slowly adopt you know, and start building climate teams um, as staff in order to be able to inject that climate perspective in you know, economic stories, business stories, environment, and other. Do you think that this would be what is needed? Or there are other ways to do it? We freelancers It's alone, very important. Right now, freelancers keep banging at the doors, and if you have people who are a little alert like Vivek is, then you'd get it in. But I can't see. You know, I have incredible stories to tell you over my years trying to get environmental stories in. It isn't. I think the seniors, the ones with some level of influence inside the paper, needs to push for a desk, put it forward. The argument has to be put forward in terms of money. For them, papers also. You know, so yes, it's very important. It's necessary, just like Jerry says, he's got all X, Y, Z all in there. We also need. Yeah. Omer, you were saying something. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, actually, just uh, seconding Kea's point. Um, I, I, I forget now exactly what year this was, but the Council for Energy, uh, Environment, and Water released a study uh, with, I think, IIT. I'll have to come back to it. But this was a few years ago. And they estimated that just purely on climate disasters, India were, uh, Indian states were suffering a damage of $100 billion a year. Right? That's $100 billion a year. And this was a few years ago. I'll have to go back to that report. Fine. I need to actually talk to CEW again about this. But $100 billion a year. I'm asking you to imagine what that could do to our health infrastructure. I'm asking you to imagine what that could do for building roads, for actually allowing some people to live like normal, decent dignified human beings. That's the kind of loss we're talking about. There's a friend of mine, she was a year senior to me in JNU, and just a couple of days ago we were talking and she said, don't you remember 20 years ago when, uh, when I told you environment will be a big thing and you dismissed me and said I only wanted to study war? Well, and she mocks me about this really nastily, but it's deserved. Uh, the thing is, I study in international politics. That's my background. That's why I, uh, you know, uh, conflict prevention, uh, uh, terrorism, and everything else. None of these 
have as much impact on our living daily life today in India as Indians, as climate change. And most of us are unaware of it. It also has a huge impact on our diplomatic and foreign standing. And it has a huge possibility for us when it comes to innovations. Because the world is changing. India is, as Bibek uh, as, uh, said, one of the few countries where we are impacted in every which way. How we adapt to it. So here's, here's the opportunity in a crisis. The way we adapt to it is a possible beacon to how other countries can adopt, uh, adapt. In the same way that our turnaround in our, managing our food security, or let's say even our, which has been undercut, but the Right to Information Act, we were able to influence not just the region, but the world by taking a leadership position in adapting. We can do that. India's greatest power is the power of its example. We are one-sixth of the world, or one-fifth. I forget how many we are these days. It always changes. And we can do this, but we need to be thinking in that way. Um, so the thing is, I again, I would like to talk about the media and the stories that we are telling rather than on the governance and policy side of it because that's a whole other discussion. Um, when it comes to media and storytelling, uh, it's interesting that Omer pointed out that CEW study, there was another CEW study um, which came out last year, which, uh, which showed with like massive empirical data that 75% of India's districts are, yeah, are um, extremely, in, for a variety of reasons, are extremely climate vulnerable. Some due to heat, others due to sea level rise, others due to, uh, you know, um, monsoon deficient, uh, rain deficit places becoming flood prone places and vice versa, flood prone places becoming rain deficit places. So it's there, it's a reality, it's not a future, it's a reality that we are living now. So when it comes to telling those stories, you have to take that into, uh, you'd have to consider it. But forget that even, forget just that. Look at business and industry. Um, industry in India is changing already and it will continue to change at an even faster rate as uh, energy transitions happen and that is going to happen there is you know to whatever extent it does happen but it's going to be big enough that it is going to completely change the way that india does business that indian industries do business even if from that very point of view if you as a mainstream media publication do not you know you have to think on your feet you have to change with the times you cannot continue to tell the same kind of stories in the same kind of ways. You have to find new ways of telling new stories that are happening right now. And that is another part of climate change reporting that is very, very important that it happens now. And um, I can speak about uh, mainstream media because there's a lot of really good work happening in non-mainstream publications. But mainstream media has the reach to whatever extent, but it does have that reach. So it has to 
plan, it has to future-proof itself. You have to be able to tell these stories, otherwise you're going to become irrelevant. Is, so, yeah. So yeah, this is uh, something that I wanted to ask you all, um, and it's a really good point. So how do we make climate change more accessible, um, the climate and the environment story, but they can be sometimes two different stories, um, requiring two different um, ways of telling the same story. Uh, how do we make all of this more accessible and involve more people that might not have an interest in the green economy or the green issues, or they might not have the tools, they might not have you know, gone to the same levels of education, or they might have other priorities and they feel like other things are more urgent. How do we reach those readers or viewers? Um, what is needed? And you know, I know that, for example, the post is experimenting with various formats, uh, Jerry was saying, um, with various strands of the climate reporting uh, space, so solutions, uh, accountability, and all of that. Um, so what do you think is needed in India and achievable in the medium short term without you know, thinking? You know, if you put it that way, I think you need to change the story. Depends this country for, I'll just give you an instance. It's very cricket crazy. Make it a climate change story. You have to have the link. Turn it whichever way you want. If you're speaking of industry changing, show us how, again, the reporter needs to have some kind of background to be able to do that. Otherwise, it's frustrating to read stories that leave you with the why and the what's all missing. So it's difficult that way, but it is possible. It is possible. There are so many who can actually turn around and change the story. So don't make it boring environment. And most, uh, I'm sorry, but it's true, most English language press just deal with urban India not even full urban India. To them, all these stories about stormwater drains, flooding, etc., don't affect them. You know, mm. They don't care whether there's drinking water going into their toilets and they're flushing that out. So it, the story has to change so that it affects them, is what I think. Let's ask these youngsters later. Uh, on that point, I mean, Basically, one thing our, our journalism generally suffers from is this, uh, the fact that our newsrooms have gotten much smaller. And by, by design, what that means is that uh, you have a lot of parachute journalism, helicopter journalism, right? Where somebody from Delhi is reporting on Guwahati. Uh, and the local reporter is reduced to a stringer or whatever. You know, it's, that's just... That's just really bad journalism, frankly. I, I, I'm maybe tooting our own horn because at the third poll we privilege people reporting from the region. But I think, okay, so journalism is basically about three things in a democratic system. It's about following the money, it's about revealing how power works, and it's about people, right? And in, I think one of the things that's, that has been missing in trying to connect those dots is by letting people tell their own stories of hardship and change and innovation that is happening now. And the people of the region need to be front and center, whether it's an entrepreneur taking out a new innovation, whether it is a factory that's shutting down, whether it is a community that's forced to uh, scrape through the muddied water coming out of a coal plant, 
these people need to be front and center of our, and we need to see them. We need to see our co-citizens, what they're dealing with. And we often do not. Uh, we often do not even regard them as our fellow citizens. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, I'll just give one very simple example. We had these rains in Delhi for the last two, three weeks that were crazy, right? But the, I would like you to imagine how many weddings were ruined by these rains. Because people plan weddings at this time. India has a 50 to $150 billion wedding industry. Right? We, we actually have no data because we, by general things, we have no data and half of that money is black anyway or maybe more than that. Uh, but uh, it affects everybody, right? Uh, I mean, we now even have finally moving towards a few gay marriages. So it even affects a lot of people, even those who were formerly excluded. It affects every single family. We're all suffering in this. And we're all finding ways to do something different. But where are the faces of those people? Do you see them? Are, is that what comes to your mind when you think climate change? Why are we not making that connection? And that's largely because, unfortunately, we're sitting in Delhi or Bombay or whatever, telling stories of the people down there. And when Chennai runs out of water, then it becomes a story. But even then, not the poor neighborhoods. When Bangalore floods, it's you know the water above the Mercedes and the, and the uh, Porsches that gets attention. Not the poor neighborhoods that A, we're, not, we're getting either water at extortionate rates before and now are flooded. Uh, the people who have no insurance, the people who will always be at the receiving end and getting it in the neck are rarely ever on our front pages and they need to be. So it makes me think the idea is very simple. It's just let's focus on the impacts on people and you know give voice to the people that don't have a voice right now. I'm simplifying it too much. Yeah. As you know. No, but like one thing that I always found, you know, in my reporting, but also as a challenge to all newsrooms is how we equip the staff and our freelancers to be able to tease out the climate link that is there when it's robust and um, not shoehorn climate change everywhere just because, you know, maybe our editor likes the idea of doing climate change stories. So we, we look at the next rains and they're like, oh, climate change these days is really bad and maybe just seasonal rain. And, you know, India is a, is a country where you have lots of extremes and even before climate change came in, you'd already had a lot of extremes every season. Um, so this goes back to the original question, how do we equip our newsrooms to be able to do this in a robust manner that is fair and really identifies the victims of climate change and separates them from you know, what happens in places where governance is not that great, and maybe the government is uh, not paying attention to the people and not building up the right infrastructure and blaming it all on climate change. This happens everywhere in the world, but I imagine in India, yeah, Pakistan is one example. I mean, obviously, climate change is, um, has been proven to have played a part, but there's also a big governance problem. Like people from Pakistan were saying uh, infrastructure was really bad. Um, yeah, or this could could have been, you know, if not prevented, mitigated without killing so many people. So this is also a job for the media, I think, in part, to drive that narrative. Um, and I don't know, you know, what you think, Vivek, but also like from an external perspective, um, Jerry, too. Uh, uh, 
yeah, I guess um, there's I, I guess there's good news and bad news when it comes to kind of, you know public engagement. Um, the good news is that there's been um, I have observed far more interest from readers about this issue in the last few years. I think the bad news is that that is because these like catastrophic events have been happening, right? That you simply can't ignore. Um, but it, 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 it has been, I mean, in terms of what I have seen in terms of kind of reader public interest about what's happening in South Asia specifically, I mean, I think particularly earlier this year when we had the heat wave across Northern India combined with the sort of the one-two punch with the, with the flooding in Pakistan, that definitely was one of those moments where you felt like, um, you know, people sort of were, were starting to get it. Um, you know, our editors have generally been quite sort of, you know, aware of some of these issues, but, you know, you, you can just feel that it's in the conversation. You know, people are understanding, you know, the, the, the significance of this is indeed, um, you know, a region where hundreds of millions of people um, will eventually, you know, struggle to survive under, um, or work outside, right, under um, the, the heat conditions um, it's a place that is will face um, worse and worse flooding um, you know in, in the in the southern coastal areas this is a place that also on the policy side is the world's third largest carbon emitter and what India chooses to do also has you know significant you know global ramifications um, and so yeah I, I would just say that there is more um, more attention paid and and obviously as, a, as an organization um, we have also really stressed um, what uh, the editors say is should be sort of like visual first kind of reporting because they think that maybe if people, if the reader gets lost in some of the science, maybe there are other ways to kind of bring in their attention and I think it has worked um, but it comes at a, a, a huge cost in organizational resources. So for example, earlier this year, during after the heat wave, we did a piece where we followed like two workers outside in Delhi. Uh, one was like a like a, uh, a delivery guy and another was a construction worker and we sort of measured like the, uh, the, the wet bulb uh, globe temperature mm -hmm. outside uh, where they worked. Uh, we strapped them actually with heart rate monitors to see how their body kind of was dealing with the heat. We took uh, like urine samples to measure their dehydration um, and and but and then sort of you know packaged the whole thing with video and photo, but it was extremely time consuming, um, and um, it was actually kind of shocking like how much time and money that something like that, which the end product wasn't particularly huge or or even that impressive. I mean, I think it, you know it did sort of give the reader a sense of what it's like to work in some of these conditions, but um, just kind of seeing how much time had to be put into producing a piece like that, it was, it's kind of, um, it's kind of, and, and, and I guess the only upside that I can think of is that there are increasingly foundations, um, you know, around the world, I think, that are offering grants to, um, to, to news organizations, freelance journalists to cover some of these issues, and, and hopefully that can, um, you know, help share some of the financial burdens of delivering that kind of engaging, um, sort of, uh, yeah, sort of visually engaging journalism that'll draw readers in. So yeah, I think the the issue of formats um, is very is very important going forward. I think we will need not only just 
different ways of telling stories and different contents for our stories, angles, but also formats. Yeah, and so you were saying. So I'm actually quite optimistic in this regard, uh, frankly, because in terms of climate change being a topic that media houses, journalists pursue. Uh, because, um, and this is where I want to draw briefly <laughs> a distinction between uh, environment reporting in India, which has a very long and rich history, and climate change reporting in India, which is in its nascent stages. So when it comes to climate change reporting per se, as a thing, uh, 2015 is a watershed year, not just because of, because of the Paris Accord. Thereafter, it has continuously grown in becoming, climate change has grown as a subject that you report on. And, um, and we are in 2022, and you know, I think it's only going to get better and better in terms of uh, the kind of stories that we tell. And I'll just take a brief example because I've, I, it's difficult for me to talk in generalizations, but when it comes to a story, ultimately your story is the only thing that is going that is between you and the reader. So you have to be a good storyteller. Now to be a good storyteller in climate change, you need to be trained to be a good storyteller. In order to be trained to be a good storyteller, you need to have the kind of institutional backing or grants or whatever which helps you do that. Again, the pool for grants or the journalists who get these grants is also very small. And it's all and you often find it's the same journalists who are getting these grants often over, enough, yeah. over and over again. So that's a separate story. So um, why I'm optimistic is that like I speak with climate scientists every other week, Indian climate scientists, policy people. Um, I, uh, for stories I've spoke, uh, I've gone to, I've done field reportage in various places where I'm talking about. And the thing is that awareness is high, obviously scientists, among, even uh, when um, uh, writing about the Uttarakhand floods which happened last year in February, uh, talking to a village Sarpanch high up in the Uttarakhand Himalaya, he has the awareness of what's going on. He doesn't have the words, he doesn't know. I mean, there is no Hindi counterpart to climate change. But, uh, but he knows what's going on. His villagers know what's going on. You have to be able to tell those stories. And, and telling a story is also an art. And I think that in that respect, Indian journalism is, has to get better. And how do you tell those stories? Where you bring it out, like what's actually happening, you say it as vividly as possible. You know, without necessarily using uh, the people that you're writing about as kind of like, you know, guinea pigs to like, tell your story, but you, but you have to kind of, uh, you have to be a good storyteller. And the thing is that newsrooms have to invest in journalists to become good storytellers. I think India used to have really good storytellers in journalism, mainstream journalism. That has generally declined because, you know, <laughs> you know, most people are worried about having a job in the first place. Financial but I think, factors, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, but that you, among, apart from all the other things that every one of us have been talking about, you have to be a good storyteller to bring out the reason why should you as the reader care about climate change or climate change stories. You have to do that. Yeah. 
hopefully there'll be time for a few questions. I would like to give precedence to um, younger people in the audience because um, I would have wanted to tackle the issue of how to, you know, tap into new talent in journalism. So now is the time. If we have any young journalists that want to break into climate, in the climate beat, um, it'd be great to hear from you. Hi. Hi. So, well, when I think it comes to combating the problem of climate change, we're far beyond the ambit of individualistic approaches and solutions. And it's high time that the government intervenes along with international collaboration. So do you think that conventions like the Paris Convention and COP26, they are steps in the right direction or simply a far cry from reality in the sense that most of the onus it's put on the developing and the underdeveloped countries. So is it prudence? And what should be the future course of action? Great question. Um, who wants to take it succinctly? Because this, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys decide who's going to take it. Please keep it short, because this could be a matter of another three hours just to answer the question. Yeah. Okay. Feedback. Yeah. So um, I think uh, international fora like um, COP26, COP27, etc., the UNFCCC. C, three C's, yeah. Uh, the convention, it, it's a very important thing. It's very important that, you know, even if you're disappointed at the end of COP26, you should still know that there is going to be a COP27 where hopefully things will get sorted out. Because you have to have hope, because if you don't, and also the other reason is that these fora are very important for um, countries to lay out their views. So for example, the less developed countries or the island states or you know countries which are which haven't caused the climate crisis but who are the most vulnerable to it they need to have a fora in which to lay their demands so for that simple that reason itself this is an important thing and though it's difficult in this day and age to find kind of like unilateralism in the international space working you still have to try for it, and so it is important, yeah. Great, we have, I think, time for another question. Um, uh, someone at the back. Hi, somebody who's currently covering the climate beat as much as possible. So, you know, just going from that question a little bit, it's mostly, um, the climate narrative currently is mostly influenced by the global north language, right? So even talking about some of what you all have spoken about, that there's a need in India specifically, A, to have an India lens, but B, also to have vernacular media being able to cover these topics as much as possible. So how do you see media moving it forward, right? Because that might be have, uh, happening for English newsrooms. But vernacular media is still being left out a little bit. So, and that's to the panel in general. So uh, I, I would say for climate change, we use Jalvayu Parivartan when it comes to Hindi. But that's not... That's a mouthful, and it doesn't, uh, yeah. And I was actually interviewing somebody for this uh, newsletter I write called Environment of India, Mehtab Alam, who is the Urdu editor at The Wire, and uh, he wants to do a podcast looking at, uh, he's now at uh, the National Foundation of India, which is just around the corner, uh, and wanted to talk about, uh, we need to develop a language in for the Urdu media to talk about environmentalism and climate change because there is no connecting the dot. And it's a large Urdu media in India. 
much of our uh, translation, my uh, social media colleague is there, which is why I keep looking that side. And so uh, unfortunately, when we, uh, uh, much of our Urdu work is largely for the Pakistani stories. Uh, and a lot of that comes back to this thing that they're often not equipped to get the science exactly right. And uh, our job uh, as editors has always been to try to inform and deepen and also many times rejected and saying this has nothing to do with climate change, please don't say that. Uh, it is coming along, but it has to be done in the way that Kea is talking about, that you connect it with the money, you connect it with, uh, with the life that people are living. Only then does journalism have a life and make sense. And so when we talk about vernacular media, and I do, I do not like to use that word, I think English is also a vernacular at the end of the day. Uh, so let's say in the non-English media when you're talking about, I think there is a great scope for this, and I'll tell you why. All language is rooted in a geography. That geography is an outcome of particular ecosystems. And, they, and there are words that have meaning in particular languages that they do not have in other languages because they are rooted in that ground. And that ground is watered by the climate that we live in. And unless we are able to articulate that in those in the sympathy with the local ecosystems, in the language that is understood and uh, is relevant to that ecosystem, you are talking, even if you're talking in the same, techni technically the same language, you're talking past the people. And that's why we need journalism from the ground around particular ecosystems are based and emerging from that language. Yeah, you know, uh, I've had, since you speak of regional media, uh, I've had regional language journalists coming to me and telling me that they don't get the opportunities that the English-speaking press gets, you know, to attend wherever, cops or whatever. I think personally that you all need to get leaderships within the regional language media to push for stuff like this. No one's going to hand it to you. You know, if you're waiting and grumbling that it doesn't come our way, it won't come. So, you know, you need to tell your editors that. If you bring this up, tell your editor that do something about it. Thank you, Umer, Vivek, Kea, Cherry, and Lou for thinking out loud with us. We would also like to thank the U.S. Embassy New Delhi for presenting this session. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.